0: There's a young man, and he plans for months. He thinks about every angle, every piece of the circumstance of his plan, and he he wants to present it in the best possible light. He goes to the jewelry store. He buys the ring, the perfect ring, and he puts it in his pocket, and then all the pieces of his plan start coming together. He goes up to his hopefully beloved betrothed, and he presents down on one knee and he opens the box and he hopes that what she will do is say yes. Oh, yes, and wrap her arms around him and whisper in his ear, yes, of course, of course. That's what he hopes. You see, there are times in life when words aren't enough, there's got to be some, some extra stuff in there. <laughs> there's got to be some nonverbal communication. The whole spectrum of communication should be present in certain times of life. And the response, the reaction is important, isn't it? Well, today I want to talk about the way, the manner in which a believer responds To the precious promises of God. The manner in which a believer responds to the precious promises of God. Our text comes from Genesis chapter 17. And uh, as Kelly read for you, uh, I'm gonna focus on the second half, but we're gonna start in the first half there, starting with verse 1. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. What I wanna do though is I wanna show a couple of things. I want to show that there's a covenant message, and that covenant message very much resembles a proposal of marriage, very much resembles it. Actually, it's probably the other way around. The the proposal of a marriage probably represents very much the covenant promise that is presented to Abraham. And I want to talk about God's purpose, His plan, and His personality in this proposal, I want to talk about who He is and how He does this. Also, I want to talk about our reactions in our precious promises that God has given us. The promise of eternal life. I want to talk about how we react. The manner in which we respond. And I want us to be able to build from that as a fellowship of believers, a community of faith, and then from God to us and then outward. Let's get started. Genesis chapter 17, starting with verse 1. There's a covenant message from God to Abraham. And I want to focus on a couple of pieces of this. He has told Abraham before, has he not, that he is going to do this for him? This isn't the first time. And just like the young man You know, hopefully that's not the first time that he's ever talked about marriage with this woman, right? If it is, if you're like um, first date buying a ring, then there might be something a little bit askew. But this isn't the first time God has, has told Abram that he wanted a relationship with him, that he was going to establish a covenant with him. He goes much further into detail and... And uh, I want to show you some of that detail here. Let's focus on verse 2. Well, setting the context, I'll start with verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. You remember the promise started when Abram was much, much younger probably around 48 or something. I can't remember the exact numbers because uh, we did that a couple of weeks ago and that's so far behind me, right? No, his, his, his promises started when he said, get up, get out of Ur of the Chaldeans, move, get out of your country and go to a place which I will show you. He didn't even know where he was going. Now look at verse um, 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and... And you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And then he says, I'll give you all this land, all the stuff that he's already promised. But how does Abraham respond? That's not the only part of the covenant, there's more. There's uh, the circumcision piece, and we're gonna talk about that. Circumcision is not the primary focus of this passage. Circumcision is a sign. And many of us are wearing signs of our covenant with our betrothed. Now, the funny thing is, I can't wear mine anymore because my fingers got too big. I have big old man paws, right? And, and I can't even put on my original gold ring onto the right finger. I can put it on there and it gets stuck pretty good. So before I went to Afghanistan, I bought a cheaper one because I didn't want to lose this one overseas or something like that. I bought a cheaper one. This one's a silver one, and it's bigger. It's a size 13, and it doesn't even go on my finger anymore. So there's a problem, right? I'm wearing... Is this the marriage? I'm wearing a token, right? I'm wearing a token of the relationship. Now, if you wear a ring... But you're not married in your heart, there's a problem, correct? If you don't treat your wife like you actually have a relationship with her and you want it to grow stronger and you want it to get better, then there's a problem. This does not equal the marriage. This is just a sign, a sign of the marriage. I work in an operating room, and so because I get this thing, if, if I were to wear it, I would get it stuck, and it wouldn't come off very easy, so I don't wear them. But because I don't wear a ring frequently, does that mean I'm not married? Absolutely not. Boy, I'd get in trouble if that were the case. No, I have to be married. Let's read some scripture. Do you remember um, we were talking in Romans? In Romans chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, it sheds some light on this idea. Now, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Um, But that up there is going to be the ESV. So there might be slight few differences, but I want you to stick with me anyways. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Very much similar to the token that we wear on our fingers. It's a sign. God's really focused on something that is deeper, isn't he? He's focused on something that even you can't see, and, and it's in the heart. But God knows. God knows, and we actually do show it, because what's written on our heart comes through our personality, the way we respond, the way we, the way we behave, the way we um, uh, put out... Who we are in Christ, our our demeanor, our words. Use words if you have to, right? Also, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it sheds light on what's important about the sign of circumcision. Was anyone anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Also Galatians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait and hope of, for the hope and righteousness of faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But faith, working through love, I find it kind of interesting that uh, we have that passage that talks about faith working up to love and we have the one. Oh, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I gotta wait, That I gotta wait for, just, just hang on for a minute. I'm gonna get back to that. So the reason that circumcision was a big deal to Paul is because in his day, there was a group of people going around who called themselves the circumcision and they made a huge distinction between those who were of the circumcision and those who were outside of the circumcision. Galatians talks all about it, and so does Romans and, and Corinthians, like we saw. The people who are of the circumcision were basically protecting and guarding a political power base. It was almost like, um, well, I might get in trouble if I make too many, too close of associations, but it was, all, it was like a wall of separation to keep the foreigners out. I, I'm not making that Trumpism, you know, stick here. But that's what they thought. They thought, we got to keep those uncircumcised fellows from getting close to God. Now, is that God's purpose? Was that God's plan? Absolutely not. Not even close. See, Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. Every time that God mentions why he is picking them, it's because of the covenant. And the covenant had to go through all the line of people because Jesus Christ was going to become a man. And that man is human, 100% human, 100% God. See, so he had to come from somewhere. And it was important where he came from. The promise came through Noah, Shem, all those other people, Abraham, through Isaac through Jacob, and then on down the line through David. He was David's son. And then on, the, on down the line, he is the son of Joseph. He is the son of Mary. Both those lines follow that same covenant plan. If you don't understand the Old Testament, sometimes you can't really pick up on the nuances of the New Testament. So what I'm saying is that line, that human line had to come from somewhere, and it didn't come from both Isaac And Ishmael, two brothers. God says, I will establish, I will set up my covenant with Isaac, not with Ishmael. Remember, um, in the passage that we read in in, uh, the latter half of 17, he said, I will establish my covenant with Isaac. But he says something before that. In Hebrew, the word is aval. Aval. Of all means, however, comma. And you can take that one of two ways. You can say, no, but, like, um, that's not right, but this is right. And that's how some translations put it, but I think it's better if you leave the no off of there. It's yes, but. Because Abraham said, "Oh, oh, that it would be that Ishmael would live before you, would be before you. What's he saying there? Remember, when he was depressed after coming back from a war, he said, what can you do for me, God? What can you do for me? Seeing I don't have an heir, and Eliezer of Damascus is my heir. That was a no, but. This is different. This is aval, aval, Sarah. Except, however, comma, Sarah, your wife, is going to give you a son. Now, how does Abram respond? Uh, he falls on his face, first of all. He falls on his face, and he worships God. That's the prime method indicator that he is worshiping God. He falls on his face, and then he laughs, Yitzchak, which is Isaac's name. There's word plays here. He laughs, and he says in his heart, will Abram, a guy who's 100 years old, and Sarah, who's 90 years old, have a baby? He's laughing in his heart. Now, he's not laughing probably derisively because he's been given the promise before. There's a difference between how he laughs and how Sarah laughs. But Sarah catches up later, and we'll see that. So we read, um, we read through why circumcision, the sign of the covenant, is not the focus here, it's the covenant. And how Abram responds to it. And I want you to see a few things. See, God has a plan. God's plan is to work through Abraham to bless every family on the face of the earth. Now, we know, because of, the, because of the writings of the apostles and the disciples, we know that this plan works itself out and finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Jesus Christ, the son of Mary, the son of Joseph, the son of God. It works itself out because Jesus Christ is the one who God was talking about when he said, you will become the father of many nations. Let me explain. You see, he also said to Sarah, you are going to be the, to the nations. You changed your name. You're going to be to the nations and kings of peoples will come from you. Now, how many kids did Sarah have? We know of at least 2. 2 or 1. Who knows? Just 1. Sarah had just 1 kid. What's his name? Yitzhak, Isaac. Sarah's kids named Isaac. Now Isaac has at least 2. What are their names? Jacob And Esau, very good. You guys are Bible scholars. (laughs) So Jacob and Esau have a problem with each other, right? They get into a bunch of squabbles. They were fighting before they were born. They get into squabbles and Esau does some crazy things that reveals how he responds to God. He gave up his birthright for a bowl of soup. Jacob receives the promise. Actually kind of steals it. But you know, Both the promise and the blessing Jacob gets from his brother who is older. Wait, no, they're twins. And Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel when he came out of the womb. So they're twins. They're born at the same time. Why would one be older than the other? Esau came out first. So he was supposed to receive the the honor of being the next tribal chieftain. He was supposed to receive the blessing. He was supposed to receive the promise. But God said, no, that's not the the way it's going to be. Rachel and in Rachel are two nations, and the younger will serve the older. Wow, lots of stuff packed into the Bible, isn't there? Well, God's purpose is to establish his covenant with us, with those who believe. And some might say, well, I've had this conversation many times with many people. What if I'm not ready? What if I'm not ready to give my whole life to God? Is that okay? Yeah, it's okay. God knows that. We all are in a process. Now, remember our guy who's popping the question, right? Our guy, what if she flatlines and she, there's no real big response and she doesn't hug him and say, yes, yes, yes. What if she's like, oh, cowboy. You know? What if she's like that? What would he do? What would the, what would the gentleman do? Well, first of all, You know, she didn't say no, so that means you keep on not trying to work her over, not trying to get her emotionally tied, not trying to press her into what she doesn't want to do. But if she's not ready, the gentleman will spend more time with her, will give her real reasons, real reasons to put her trust and her confidence in the idea that he can and will keep his covenant promises. You see, God is a gentleman. God's not going to force you. God's not going to make you. Yeah, he puts us in a corner sometimes. Yeah, he does make us see that this is a life or death proposition. It's not exactly the same in some respects as my analogy, but this is life and death, so God is sometimes pretty insistent, but he is a gentleman and he's not going to force you. You see, It's not just that one time when you walk down the aisle and you said yes and you put on the ring. You have to say yes to your your beloved every day, don't you? You have to say, yes, I'm married in my heart. I can't just act like I'm not married. There's a whole change that happens when you walk down the aisle. It's a promise that is meant to last. What happens if she's not ready? The gentleman will give her time, will give her space. Will help her see, give her real reasons. It will affect her mind, and her mind will affect her emotions. If you establish a covenant relationship with somebody based solely on emotions, guess what happens? Emotions are fickle things, they don't stick around all the time. So a young person might say, Well, I'm just not happy anymore. That's not a relationship. Oh, I just think that this other person makes me happy. That's not a relationship. That's not a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship is built on trust. And this is what God is doing for us. God's personality is this He wants us to trust Him with our whole lives. And out of that, He wants us to respond to Him. So, how does this work? If you're not ready to say yes to God, He gives you time. He gives you reasons. He helps your brain think things over. And your heart follows your brain. Do you believe me? Your heart follows your brain. You decide who you're going to commit to. Let me... um, So I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, and that's making me a little confused. But um, I want to read... I want to read something from... Romans, and then I want to give you a quote from uh, uh, someone that my wife, uh, see I have this little journal that uh, my sisters gave to me that I'm supposed to keep my thoughts in, and I've started, I've never been a good journaler, but I've started writing my sermons ideas in there and the things that I want to say that I feel like God's putting on my heart, and she put a quote in there. My wife put a quote from Tom Skinner, I'll share that with you. Let me read this piece of Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5. Just pieces. This is where we're going and this is why we're taking a detour into the life of Abram. Because if you understand what Abram was going through when he became Abraham, then you can understand where Paul is going when he says this. Romans chapter 4 verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that The promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. You see, one nation, Israel, isn't enough. Abraham is the spiritual father of many nations. Skipping down to um, verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted for him as righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. Isn't it interesting that this list of things... One right after the other starts with faith and ends with love, just like two weeks ago when I spoke about Second Peter, the first part of Second Peter in chapters uh, chapter one, one through eleven. it says that um, love came or comes out of the faith, faith produces something else, something else, something else, and it ends in love isn 't that interesting so this, uh, this guy, Tom Skinner, he wrestled with his doubts. And it's okay to wrestle with your doubts as a believer. It really is. It's okay to wrestle with God. Israel means he struggles with God. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. It's okay to wrestle with God, but you have to be honest with him because God can see all the way inside your heart. He knows what you're thinking. He knows when you have troubles. He knows when you have bad days. Does that mean he is no longer committed because you have a bad day? Because you have a doubt? I've seen people have, go through trials of grief and just severe turmoil. And, and for a time, they say, well, oh, I don't know if I even want to have anything to do with God. That's rough. Now, do we say, as believers, do we say, well, if they leave us, they were never of us. No, I don't believe that that's the correct reaction for every. That's not the correct response for every time we see somebody having trouble in the faith. The correct response is we be honest with them. As they're having struggles in their faith, we come alongside them and lift them up because many of us have been through the same things before, haven't we? And we know there's another side. We know there's an outdoor to the trouble. So what I want to say is, um, Tom Skinner says, I spent a long time trying to come to grips with my doubts when suddenly I realized I had better come to grips with what I believe. I have since moved from the agony of questions that I cannot answer to the reality of answers that I cannot escape. And it has been a a great relief. Isn't that true? If you do have doubts, keep on thinking. Keep on investigating. Get close to God. You see, if you separate yourself from God, then you're not going to learn who He is. You're not going to learn how trustworthy He is. Come near to God and He will come near to you. That's what it says in James. Our response... Brothers and sisters, our response has a lot to do with how we grow as a body, too, not just individually. You see, when we respond in faith and we are strengthened, when our faith is strengthened, then it catches, it's contagious. Other people can see that we went through troubles and we responded in faith and God lifted us up. And that faith is not by works, in Ephesians it says that, lest any man should boast, it is a gift of God. So you come near to God. You strengthen your faith. You ask God to strengthen your faith. You remember the guy that had a sick kid? And he said, Lord, I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. But you got to be honest. You can't just put on a facade and act like everything's fine. you got to be honest. And then other people have the opportunity to come with you, to walk with you. On the other hand, when you... When you have faith, it does change your countenance, doesn't it? It lifts you up. It allows you to see another side of things. It allows you to reframe when you go through troubles. You know, even, even when you're going through troubles, like I've talked with so many people that were terminal. They knew they were going to die. A couple of years ago, my mom died. I talked with her. She knew she was going to die. How do you respond when you know you're going to die? Well, if you have faith... You know that Jesus Christ gave himself for you so that there's new life. There's something to look forward to. Even there's new life in this earth and there's a great inheritance in the next. Isn't that true? It's okay to say amen, guys. It's okay. If you believe it, respond. I mean, yeah, that's, they do that in the South, don't they? Amen. No. But it's okay to... It's okay to Trust in the Lord, and it's okay to visibly respond when something's true. The truth will help you to be strengthened in your faith as you learn more and more. Here's what I want you to do I want you to shine the light. I want want you to shine the light as individuals and as a body of believers. Be honest if you're having trouble. Let other people come near you. You know what happens when two candles get close to each other? One of them's kind of having trouble. Maybe the wax is, is kind of snuffing out the wick because it got too high or something. You know what happens when the other candle gets close? It gets brighter. gets stronger, more significant. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Andy turned on his light and shined it in my eyes. <laughs> That's awesome. What happens when a whole bunch of candles get together? You've seen it on YouTube. I know you have. (laughs) What happens when somebody lights a whole bunch of matches all at the same time? Then it's really big. It's really bright. Brothers and sisters, shine the light. Come near to those who are having trouble. Let them see that you have faith. Respond in faith. I'm going to give an invitation. It's not something that I usually do because I don't want to be manipulative, right? I don't want to manipulate. I'm not here to be... Uh, well, I am a salesman. I'm selling you something. But I'm, I'm not a salesman that is pushy. Right? I don't want you to say yes to God unless you want to say yes to God. But if you want to say yes to God's proposal, he's like the guy who's down on one knee and he's saying, I've, I've been with you. You've seen how I respond. You've seen how trustworthy I am. Will you be my bride? If you want to say yes to God, would you do that? Say Yes. It's okay. It's okay to respond. This is a frozen chosen, I can tell. (laughs) Say yes to God. And if you don't want to, if you're not sure yet, will you tell somebody? Will you tell somebody that you're having trouble and let them walk with you? Let them show you. Let them be the voice of God, his hands, his feet. Let them come near you. Sometimes wrap their arms around you. Help carry the burdens. There's a lot of pain in this world. But there's a lot of joy in Christ. I've seen people who are in so much pain. Immediately, when they heard the good news. Immediately, it made them feel better and they, they were able to have joy. And That's what I want for you guys. Shine the light. Shine the light. Shine the light. Strengthen each other. Lift each other up. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose, and it's just like what Abraham did. Let's pray. God, thank you for Abraham. Thank you for his example, his excitedness, his enthusiasm, his exuberance, so much so that he got 300 and some males to become circumcised on the same day. I don't think he did it through coercion. I think he did it through inspiration. And God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for bringing us along. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for saving us from our sin. And thank you for preparing a way for us. You sang that wedding song to your disciples. Lo, I go and I prepare a place for you and where I am that you may be also. It was just like a wedding song. Thank you for who you are, Lord. Thank you for keeping us. And help us worship you visibly. In Jesus' name, amen.